Hello and welcome to episode three of the We Found a Game podcast. I'm Dan Studley and sat beside me yet again is Joe Parton. Good evening. Uh, recording a little bit late. Uh, we were going to record over the weekend, um, but then something quite extraordinary happened. Then quite a... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, quite an eventful 24 hours, James. So we're kind of hoping maybe that there are a few new listeners... That'd be great. ...listening to the pod. And the reason they're listening is because they were scrolling through Twitter on Sunday evening or Monday morning and came across a thread that I put together. You couldn't sleep Saturday night, Joe, and you actually sent me some drafts of something. What were they? Yeah, so I, I basically Saturday night I just couldn't really sleep uh, for whatever reason and uh, got up, went on a football kit designing website. And uh, decided to um, design football shirts for every UK supermarket. I was thinking you had a plan of something else to do, um, and that kind of fell by the wayside, didn't it? So actually, that maybe wouldn't have got as viral, would it? I'm not sure. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, I had a, an Amazon delivery of um, a big pin board and a map of England, and I was planning on putting all my pin badges up on the map. Something I've wanted to do for ages, never got round to it. Um, it's very hard to judge the size of maps online, and this one was way too small. Would have barely got. Uh, barely got a quarter of my badges on, so I've sent off for a bigger map. But that that's right, it gave me a free Saturday evening to design football shirts and um, that look like supermarket chains, and it, it turned out to be very popular. What are we on at the moment? How many likes? You just said very popular. I think 3.3 million people have interacted <laughs> with this. I can't even quite comprehend that. How's your, how's your day been? Um, well, it's, you know, it's quite nice to go downstairs, make a cup of tea and have Dan Walker retweet your <laughs> tweet or BBC Football put it on Instagram. My favourite one is a football blog post, um, Football Joe, actually, ironically, Joe as well. Um, and it starts with man, not Joe, <laughs> not Mr. Parton, just yeah. man. I quite like that. Yeah, I was described as a creative individual um, put together, yeah. Um, so if you haven't already, um, it's jkparton93, that's my Twitter. It's the same as my Instagram if you want to give me a follow on that as well um uh, you can have a look and pick your favorite one this i did 10 teams so we did tesco sainsbury's asda morrison's uh m&s little aldi iceland and co-op i think um the most popular ones there was a pepper pig themed m&s away shirt which went down quite well i don't know what it is but i just really like little at home i'm not sure why <laughs> little at home really works but the, uh, we we save the best till last. Oh, Aldi at the end. Everyone's second club. Absolutely. Um, and um, if 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 anything comes out of this, I'd just like an Aldi away shirt. Please. I would love an Aldi away shirt. Yeah, so yeah. At Aldi GB, if you're listening, <laughs> um, we would love to make that happen for Absolutely. charity. Yeah. Definitely. So so been a bit of an exciting start to the week. Um, there's some other huge news for football fans listening as well, which is also very exciting, Dan. Yeah, it's actually quite convenient. Again, this delay in pod recordings. Actually, we've now got this news hot off the press. Actually, incredibly surprising. I'd have never have thought football fans would be back in stadiums until the early spring. At the earliest, I'd have probably guessed. Um, but the 3rd, 4th of December, we're going to have up to 4,000 back in all, I guess, all stadiums virtually. That's crazy. Which, first of all, just means non-league is well and truly back on the cards. Ground hopping, as it was in between the two lockdowns, is back and that's just absolutely fantastic. We were on Saturday on our ladders watching Oxford City over the fence. Um, it'll be fantastic to be back in the stadium at that level. But then for Football League and for Premier League, um, I mean, I'm a home and away season ticket holder right at the front of the queue when it comes to loyalty points. I'll probably be quite close to being one of the 4,000 in Molyneux. It's not going to be the same having, what is it, one spectator every however many seats, but it's a chance for me to go back and do something I haven't done since the 7th of March. Mental. And and for someone like me who's not a season ticket holder, you know, the chances of getting into a game is still going to be incredibly 
difficult, you know, th Bristol City, for example, 13,000 season ticket holders, 4,000, 3,000 maybe at each game. Um, it's going to be a long time until your 10-game-a-season casual fan yeah, is going to be allowed yeah, back, yeah. isn't it? But there's still quite a lot of unanswered questions because they're doing it by region and by tier. So um, it's up to 4,000 um, uh, if you're in tier one or tier two. I'm so sick of this tier system working it all out. But so, okay, so let's say Wolverhampton is in a lower tier, but I live in Oxford. And so if I get asked to go, then I'm, I would then drive, let's say, you from... you packing your car with COVID on the yeah, way I'll before. Yeah, I'll driving yeah. through a COVID-ridden city up yeah. to Molyneux and then spreading it to the other 3,000. Open those doors and spread it around. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. And, you know, we, we've said this. There's a lot of fans, myself included, that travel quite a significant distance for home games. Mm. So um, I'm not sure whether I'm not going to be allowed to go. How on earth do you police that? I mean, what we were saying with Man United earlier today was actually if, if Devon and Cornwall's OK, then I suppose they can just crack on, can't they? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. no problems at all. So for this section of the podcast, we're returning yet again to our favourite part of Eastern Europe and their wonderful Premier League. It's the Belarus bit. And Dan, you've treated yourself to a present. I have indeed. My team, Neiman actually had a stock of four of their scarves to sell in Barry in Wales. <laughs> so I'm not sure who this person is stocking Eastern European football scarves, but it is draped across our second sofa, Joe, and it looks absolutely majestic. It's absolutely no glorious, idea what it this says, scarf. But, yeah. No, no idea. I'm, I'm imagining, hopefully, it's the name of the team. Yeah, Nothing more controversial not be, yeah. than that. But the reason it's draped over the sofa is because yesterday you were sat on that sofa for the penultimate game week. Yesterday, every game kicked off at 11. Um, Neiman are one of, I think, five teams still chasing a European spot um, how did they get on? They won 1-0 um, hugely hugely important win um, all the seven teams top seven teams won yesterday that is a weekend for your accumulator isn't it that's yeah, yeah, when you yeah, get your yeah. on um, incredible a 1-1-0 beat Slutsk who, who actually were the early front runners of the league and now that has all but relegated them. It's like an upside-down league table from when we did um, mm. Series 1. Incredible. Um, I, I hope all those fans that had really joined the Sloops bandwagon have stuck with them through the loyal, arduous second Sloops, half of the season. Hopefully. Loyals, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and so, as Joe said, there's four teams from position third down to position sixth who are, who are separated by just three points. And that third place is the last Europa League spot. My team, Nima, they haven't been in Europe. For, they've been there once in the last 15 seasons. Next Saturday, 11am, the final day, I can't, I'm already nervous. And I, we're going to be bringing it to you, well, not live, because it's a podcast, but we're going to be sat here, watching. both of us, and we're going to be soccer Saturdaying the final day of the Belarus League. And I mean, it's not like Neiman have just got an easy home game against a team down the bottom, they're away to Dinamo Bresk, who are fifth and two points behind them. So it's essentially winner takes all for a place in the Europa League. But they say, Dan, if you want to make it, you've got to beat the big teams. You've got to win these big games, you know, and, and they will they will have deserved it if they've managed to get a result against Dynamo Brest. Are they the team that have, they've won their last seven? There's, yeah, absolutely yeah. flying, absolutely flying. So. so really tough. We'll have the scarf out and uh, hopefully we can put together a bit of a dramatic uh, climax to what has been a emphatically entertaining season and hopefully not a league we're going to forget anytime soon. Absolutely not. You know, I think it's the only league that's carried on throughout everything that's gone on in the whole world. Absolutely, right. But as soon as we can put flights to Belarus, get that airbridge open, Boris. I know, get it open. We'll be yeah. there.
So obviously concluding episode two, we mentioned that episode three is going to be the director's box. Um, we say box, um, you know, it's probably just a couple of seats with stickers on it non-league. It's probably not a box, is it? Yeah, well, in the Football League, it's behind uh, a door. There's probably a scary man guarding the door, maybe some velvet rope in front of it. But you're right, at non-league, um, there's normally an A4 piece of paper attached to a little alcove of the clubhouse that says director's box. And often it's actually one of those rooms, like a separate room they might have like, meetings or something in. And we can never see in that room, can we, Jerry? No, 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 no. Uh, we can normally maybe see trays of sandwiches or, or food or, or some sort of refreshment. Um, and then uh, men and women in very big coats that are way too big for them uh, that probably say something like Vanarama or Joma on the back of them. It's brilliant, isn't it? And, uh, and in terms of what an official director entails, you know, obviously in the upper echelons of football, you know, they're often... Foreign owners, um, ridiculously rich people. Um, but in non-league, um, I'm not saying these people aren't wealthy, but they have incredible um, responsibilities and volunteers and different things they do for clubs, aren't they? Indispensable people. Yeah, I think the time. main difference between the Football League, Premier League, the people you find in a director's box compared to non-league is, as Dan said, these are the people who are the lifeblood of that club, the most dedicated individuals, um, uh, who are, I'm almost certain, from the town or village that the non-league club is from. They'd know the club inside out. Um, when there's a cup run, they get wheeled out in front of the TV cameras to talk about their brilliant non-league team. If you want to find the person that loves that club the most, uh, at a Premier League ground, you certainly won't find that person in a director's box. But at a non-league ground, you definitely will. And also these people, if they are very wealthy, often get a lot of stick. You know, that they're just rich people who are just... But actually, there's no return for them. No. Like if you're thinking business-minded, there's no return for any yeah, of these yeah, people. Yeah. They are just doing it because they love and enjoy doing what they can for their local team. Yeah, they? yeah. A completely thankless task. Um, and I think, though, that non-league is not immune to um, the dodgy chairman, the dodgy owners. We've um, seen it firsthand ourselves. Absolutely. Um, and people who maybe take over a club in steps two or three are probably the most vulnerable to this uh, with ambitions to get into the Football League. It's worked. Fleetwood, Crawley, Forest Green, Dale Vince. I mean, he's got his opposition, but I think he's done it very sustainably. Sustainable Absolutely. is the word for Forest Green yes. Rangers Football Club. But there are lots, I'm thinking of Rushton and the Diamonds um, and, and, and other teams that have been um, plunged into a, well, but not non-existence or, or serious financial trouble um, by very devious um, owners, which is a real shame. Exactly. And in the Football League, obviously, um, you know, you have got a lot of foreign owners coming in and obviously, Joe, you know, with Wolves, obviously Chinese, um, ridiculously rich people coming in. Um, very fortunate at Bristol City. Our chairman is um, a local person, a supporter of the club. Um, what do you think of, you know, when owners do come in? What's the incentive of, of, of someone who probably two years before I'd never heard the word Wolverhampton before. Yeah, exactly. It's really dodgy. I think in the case of Wolves, they um, backed up their business case so well and then straight away um, were stated their intentions and invested in the playing squad, um, got a really, uh, well, nearly got a good manager, Walter Zenger. <laughs> it started quite well, but then sorted us out with a, the proper manager. I think their intentions were stated very clear. I think the problem is, and also they're very present. This is the other thing. When you've got directors that are at games, they even sent Jeff Shee, their managing director, to live in Wolverhampton. So, you know, that there's in no a big... Flats or... Well, yeah. Well, I'm not sure he lives in Wolverhampton, actually. Probably somewhere <laughs> a little bit nicer, but... <laughs> um, but... Um, 
you know, that, that, that's a huge statement of intent, which you don't always get. And this is what's good about directors in non-league is that actually they've got their community at the forefront because it's the place that they live. It's the place that they're from. And also they're accessible, you know, yeah. in a non-league club. They're going to be at the bar after the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if there's something in the club you don't think is right, you just go and yeah. tell them. And also in a director's box, how many different items of branded clothing have you seen from Endless. v-neck jumpers to ties to um club jackets waistcoats, waistcoats yeah. yeah everything it's absolutely magnificent uh pin badges galore um i always love as well in the director's box um the rare chance i've got to go in them when there hasn't been a game um some amazing shirts and images from wembley fine fa yeah. vars final. i think maybe they keep the uh, the memorabilia in the main clubhouse bit is kind of like the secondary stuff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter if we the donated that. shirt if from the local snipped. football league team yeah, we yeah. played berry once so that stuff or something <laughs> but yeah but then you go in the director's box and it's just like the main event isn't it yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Refe Vars final and all of that stuff. and a lot of these non-league clubs um, if you ever go to a non-league team you think oh they've never won anything um, it's quite the contrary if you actually delve into their um, history and find their trophy cabinet especially in the North East you'll have a few FA vases up there and local cups that they've won exactly. and it's uh, yeah there's lots you can find um, most of this is actually just us predicting kind of what <laughs> we think's in there and in kind of guessing but actually we're very lucky aren't we this evening Joe we're going to be joined by somebody who is actually going to give us the real deal. Absolutely, someone that's lived and breathed Did life. Yeah, real deal. Yeah. Said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's also someone that's been involved at a club, Dorking Wanderers, with a magnificent story in non-league. Um, and so um, I'm really excited to learn more uh, about Dorking through Jack. So let's see what he's got to say. Episode three, uh, we have our theme, the director's box, and we're very lucky to be joined by a, I guess, player slash referee slash match day secretary, Done it all. Dor- Dorking Wanderers, um, Mr. Jack Owen. Great to have you. Great to have you on the episode, Jack. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's good to be good to be on. So we'll, we'll start. We'll go right back to where it all started, like earliest footballing memories. So whether that's as a player, whether that's as a supporter, um, where did it all start for you? How did you get involved in football? Yeah, so I, I suppose, like a lot of lads, I got the uh, football bug um, playing for my village side, Brocken Badges. A uh, bit of a shout out there. Um, but yeah, they've got a great setup. And uh, yeah, that's where I grew up. So I played for the team from eight years old uh, all the way through till 16, which I was, unfortunately, I was never much of a player. So I was always stuck in the B team. Um, and I had a bit of a uh, bad uh, discipline record, I have to say, as well. <laughs> Um, I'd be a bit. I'd see. I'd see, see the red mist a bit, and uh, yeah, I tend to tend to boil up. And I think when you, your mum was driving you to a lot of games as a kid, and I think yeah, I think she sort of stopped coming after a while because you know she said you're just embarrassing me standing there and watching you on from the sidelines. So played for a bit, and then I yeah, I was supported uh, in the early days of Man United fan. Um, that was my dad's team um, but then I started to want to go to more games um, so my dad's London side I suppose um, was was West Ham yeah got into it um, we didn't go ever go to too many games um, but yeah I started going about probably six or eight times a year up to Upton Park loved, loved going up there and 
having the match day experience and really good good memories of going going there. If we talk about match day experience and kind of say it, say that term, but Upton Park as a match day, I was incredibly lucky. Bristol City played one one time Upton Park in my sort of era of going to away matches. So I went once. Um, just amazing, just the, the the area. And I know you've talked to me a lot about like the pre-match and you used to always go to the same little calf and stuff. Like that's just like I bet you're so happy you've kind of had that. I know obviously everything in the London Stadium, but I bet you're delighted you've had that experience. I'm not sure amazing would be how I'd describe that area. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I, first yeah. I think I think that's it. I think um because it's not an area of London that you would necessarily you wouldn't go there. Like it, 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 a tourist would not go to that part of London. Um but it's just as soon as you step out of Upton Park Stadium, you get a real buzz. There's people everywhere. The market stalls are heaving. There's people walking down the middle of the streets where there's a massive double-decker bus um, about to run them down. It was it was waiting outside the, the gates for the players to show up and getting your autograph book uh, filled up. And But yeah. that, so you grew up with... Uh... Uh, a bit of a temperament for, for for being a bit of a bad boy on the pitch. And then all of a sudden, you were the man in the middle. Role uh, reversal. Yeah. <laughs> so what caused the role reversal into refereeing? I think, yeah, partially that, absolutely. I think I've, I've always wanted to see the game from every angle that I can um, and get a full understanding of it. I thought, you know, when I was a player, I thought, that guy's an idiot in black and white in the middle. Like, what what's he doing? Like, surely that job's easy. Um and so I thought, why not? I'll see for myself. I think I'm pretty, pretty good. Have a good shot at that. So I, yeah, I was, at the time I was a student. Um, more, you know, it was a Saturday job. Um, I could, we could all go and work in a local shop or whatever. But for me, my passion was football and chance to earn a bit of pocket money on the on the side. And it turned into, you know, I was going, to, I was doing three games a weekend for a, over, over the course of about eight seasons. Um, so I was doing a kid game on Saturday morning and then um, men's games on uh, on Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning. My, I've got my best memories of refereeing in the Croydon uh, League in, in London, where it was quite rough, to be honest. And um, I was I was I think I must have been between 18 and 20 and I was get, showing up and I wasn't driving at the time. So I had to go with get dropped off. By someone else and I showed up and they said oh why why, why are you here shouldn't shouldn't you be uh to get home doing your homework or something like that or um but I think as you as you got into the game you quite quickly got respect from the players because one I could run around and I, I left the center circle um that a lot of referees that I've encountered don't and yeah I think you know I've I've got on a cup final and I did I did really well and I really enjoyed it did you have wasn't there a story where you just left the situation and, and, and wandered off yeah absolutely it turned into a bit of a Benny Hill sketch um <laughs> it was uh knew it was a top of the table clash there's quite a lot to be played there's quite a lot that they were playing for and I'd heard that these teams had some of the worst discipline records in the league <laughs> I got through I was at half time and I was like I really don't know what these what my fellow referees are, are talking about. Like this, this game is, has been pretty much of a breeze. Um, second half, about <laughs> some guy clatters into another guy, takes him out. And I thought, okay, just uh, get on with that free kick, but into the pitch and hit the other guy in the face. 
And suddenly it turned into a 22-man brawl and they were <laughs> ch chasing each other around the back of the goals and everything. And uh, it just escalated and it was no longer a football match, sadly. So I had to blow my whistle and say, that's it, lads. That's uh, game over. <laughs> we're back, back, back to the changing rooms, please. <laughs> Try again next week. <laughs> so you've been a player, you've been a referee, obviously you've been a supporter of football the whole time. But most recently, uh, this is really exciting, you've been involved at Dorking Wanderers Football Club, um, which is a brilliant story in general, which we're going to get to. But why don't you start off just talking about how you got involved with Dorking Wanderers? Yeah, so when I, I gave out the referee and when I, when I went to work full time, um, and then I suppose... I went to watch a few games at Dorking, um, and I think like a lot of other people would say, their how their involvement started with non-league clubs is is just going to games and then showing a willingness to to get involved in some, um, whether it was helping out behind a tea bar or helping out of a bit of car parking, you know that's where I started, um, and I suppose I've been doing this for five seasons now and. Each year, I've taken on a bit more responsibility um, and just really shown the the willingness to to get involved in um, the club. Sort of embraced, and wanted me to get taken more responsibility, and you know I've, I've I've run with it, and it's it's just it's a great it's a great club to be part of. Uh, and for people that don't know, this is a very young football club. It was formed in 1999 um, and it was a group of lads playing in a field, essentially. Um, and I heard an amazing stat because now um, we Dorking Wanderers find themselves um, third in the uh, National League South. Um, and so it's been a bit of a meteoric rise. I heard a stat that if Dorking get as many promotions as they've had in the last 10 years, in the next 10 years, they'll be playing Premier League football, which is absolutely <laughs> amazing. So you've been part of the latter stages of that. What's it been like being part of a club that's very much still on an upward trajectory through the leagues? Yeah, so I, I joined the club um, when they were in the Ispian, um, the old Ryman League, uh, the Division One of that. Um, and they were going for promotion that season. Um, they were battling it out with a team called Tooting, um, and they were, I think both teams ended up about 100 points crazy that season, um, and it went down to the final day, and Tooting had the advantage of goal difference, um, and turned out that Dorkin had to beat them 5-0. Um, Dorkin ended up winning that day 1-0, but Tooting went up and... Dorking went into the playoffs um, and a couple of games, won the semi-final and then the final, we uh, it went all the way to penalties and that was at our old grounds. That was we call West Humble playing fields. Um, that's really um, central to our to our club. We we it's a ground that we we went through the leagues in and we we really developed um, from installing the floodlights and extra stands and facilities and. If people want to check out on YouTube, um, just Google Dorking Wanderers against Corinthian Casuals penalty shootout, um, and you'll it'll be it's a great video to watch because the ground sat at the bottom of Box Hill, um, and there's a, some a, a person uh, filmed the penalty shootout right from the top of the hill, um, from quite a distance away, and it just shows you this this ground that's surrounded by nature. And it's a, it's a really is a, such a scenic place to watch football, and that that brand will be sorely missed. But I think that what really got me into me was watching that game and then seeing the pitch invasion and, and just celebrating uh, going up in promotion. 
um, in into the next league. So that kind of got helped me get the bug bug a bit more, I suppose. Fantastic. And obviously, like you said, you've done a few of those different roles within the club. And um, as we usually at the start, you find yourself being a secretary um, with the reserve team. So how is that day to day? What what is your kind of role and, and how, how did that kind of come about that, that role you have now? Yeah, so I am secretary of our reserve team and our under 18 team. Um, so we we have a we've basically got a really good structure in place now where um, we're providing a pathway for our, our young players. Um, we hope that they will uh, try go into our first team um, and uh, with our club not being too far away from professional football now, we, we hope that one day we'll be able to produce uh, professional players. Um, and uh, so I, I look after that. Um, I, I have various responsibilities in that role. So from arranging the, the matches and doing a lot of work behind the scenes, um, confirming with the opposition and the match officials, um, working with uh, finding a group of volunteers, sort of supervising a group of volunteers um, for each match, um, doing various jobs around the club, um, helping produce the a really good match day experience for everybody and I sort of have a sort of front of house role um, where I, I sort of look after everybody and um, just make sure that everything runs really well for sort of operationally uh, and I get involved in producing the, the team sheets and exchanging those with the opposition. Um, I've written match reports, I've run the social media accounts um, yeah, it's quite a varied role, but it's forward. Fantastic. So, you talk about the match day experience. Um, you um, have uh, the key to some knowledge that we need, <laughs> as a yeah. Yeah. Um, because uh, we've been to so many games of football, but always as a supporter, um, you have been as an official or a director, and so you've got experience in this mysterious world of of being. Oh, yes. still um, maybe even wearing a These tie. These doors never have windows, so we like there's never a window <laughs> on the door, so we don't know actually what's going on. No, it's exactly. Secretive I don't even think, Dan. I've I've never even worn a tie to a football match. Mm, maybe I went I, to one after a wedding. I definitely have. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Jack, what's it like uh, your experience um, going to a football match as a director or as an official? How does that differ from going as a fan? Oh, yeah, I'd like to get my uh, just get my my uh, shirt on and look a bit smart and dress up, and I like to pride myself as one of the smartest uh, secretaries on the, on the league. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose it's not too far different in the fact that what I enjoy is going to different grounds, just places that I wouldn't necessarily be going if I wasn't in football. Um, I've gone to some really unique grounds. And I've, I think as a person that enjoys meeting people, um, it's one of the best jobs that you can have because I, I meet people from all walks of life, of all ages, that just come away on a Saturday and escape the football. Everyone's the same, everyone's like-minded, has got the same passion. Um, and I suppose in the boardroom, a lot of it is that you're representing your club, you're telling the story of your club, um, and you're there to, I've, I've learned the histories of different clubs. Um, and you're just, 
you're you're really embracing it. Um, and then, of course, if you can carry three points after a match back into the boardroom, it's even better because you've got a little bit of smugness. But you've you've got to kind of keep on that level playing field and not not say things you shouldn't and not upset anyone. But I think you it's just it's a great great environment to be in for, for those that are really passionate about their non-league football. One of our um, episode, one of our episodes in series one was refreshments, and we thought we did quite well with some of the refreshments that we've seen mm. in in had it football. But Jack, you're gonna wow us, I think, with with kind of another level from a, a normal fan experience of hospitality. Yeah, so I suppose it it varies um, quite a bit um, from. I mean, each club's different in terms of their offering, um, but. We, as Dorking Wanderers, we 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 pride ourselves. We try and do a really good job of it, um, and unfortunately, that is an element of football which has changed with COVID. Um, we can't. That's something that we're missing. We we can't provide the same match day experience that we could. We can't. We can't operate a boardroom at the moment. But before lockdown, I mean, this time last year, we would provide be providing a free course hot meal for all the directors of the clubs. Three you know. courses. A proper slap-up meal, you know. It was... Uh, tea, pie, Kit Kat. Yeah, Some places, you know, you get the... Um, you just get the bright white sandwiches with cheese and pickle or whatever, but <laughs> some places, it, you know, I've been given a, from a load of vouchers to treat yourself to a load of Domino's pizzas it's varied quite a lot um but yeah I think I think now yeah it's 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 a good place to be you you get fed and watered um and you you when you come out to to the watch the game on a bleak day when, when it's snowing or it's raining you might not do that you might just stay in the boardroom to be honest if it's if there's a boring nil nil but I'm I, I'm always there, boys. I'm always watching the game. Um, <laughs> there you go. Is, a, is there a part of you that thinks, you know, I want to be that fan stood up? Because I've always thought, you know, it's always this question of if you won the lottery, what would you do? You know, if, if you could own a football club or whatever. I think I'd, I'd still, as a millionaire, I think I'd still want to stand in the terrace behind the goal. Like, is there part of you that you think, oh, I'd rather just stand up or, you know, you've got this seat, heated seat on the halfway line? Yeah, I've definitely had it. I mean... That I've got my responsibilities that I've got to uh, look after a, 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 the senior officials of another team who are, you know, expecting expecting a meal after a game, and then I'm sort of really focused on watching the game, and you're kind of peering around from the boardroom to try and try and catch as much of the action as you can. Jack, best and worst uh, things you've been given to eat or drink, uh, best and worst hospitality in the league, apart from Dorking some of the cakes I've got have been incredible like, <laughs> just like these these out these ladies that have been involved like with with clubs at for such a long time and they haven't really got uh much of an interest in in the game but they're there as the the hospitality person and they just cook like yeah it's unbelievable like some of the it's like a full-on bakery in the in the boardroom and you're like wow like this is this is great yeah. What's the weirdest or the worst thing you've been given? Yeah, I've probably just like a stale like place of like sandwiches that, or one you know some of those like um, things of 
uh, chocolate biscuits or brownies or whatever that you get from Tesco's. Like some people don't, you know, just push it out in front of you and they clearly, you know, they've got that on their, on their way to football. And I stopped off by the local supermarket. Fair enough. Like if that's not their you know, thing, you've there's... Been, you've been meal prepping since Wednesday, haven't you? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I always like, I always reserve my, my proper mug in the boardroom as well because a lot of them, I don't want, like... It's it's a bit of a special thing, you know. So I've got my name on my mug in the in the boardroom, and that's my that's my that's mug to be using. No one else is using it. I feel like that's when you know you've made it when you've got a mug with your name on in the boardroom. Yeah, yeah, that's the level. Jack, Jack, how many items of clothing do you have with your initials on them? Yeah, I've um, coats. Um, yeah, I've got about three coats now. I've got Gilet, <laughs> Tim Tim Sherwood Gilet for all, the, all those fans <laughs> out there. Um, and then I've got two couple of shirts. I've got jumpers, uh, tracksuit bottoms. Yeah, I've I've, I've got rucksacks if I need it. Um, he started by saying he, he, he does this for the love of the game, the so now he's <laughs> reeling off his wardrobe for personalised kit. So. Yeah, I, I I do it to keep you know keep keep my wardrobe nice and updated. As well. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, I think we should. You've mentioned already the experience of. Uh, uh, talking Wanderers and the hospitality that you give and that's helped massively by the fact that you now don't play in a field you've got an absolutely brilliant stadium the Meadowbank Stadium right in the heart of the community um, I've been uh, for a pre-season friendly and absolutely loved every second that I spent there so how how important um, is, is Meadowbank for the for Dorking Wanderers to have a stadium like that? Yeah absolutely I mean the ground now is is in the heart of the town um so it's accessible to everybody um it's a real community-based club now so um the whole town like you'll walk through Dorking on a Saturday and you'll just see kids and adults of people of all ages just walking through the town with their red and white scarves and there's a real buzz to the place now and um I think through lockdown um we tried as much as possible to, to do everything we could for our fans. So we had pub quizzes and things that we, you know, we really engaged and food banks for, through the troubling times for, for our, for our supporters um, who, you know, have supported us through the last, you know, for as long as we our existence. And we've got some great people um, running the club that uh, we've got a, about a hundred strong committee now that, that are really doing everything for the club, um, pushing us forward um mark white the chairman manager uh is just just an unbelievable man that's uh mr motivator i would say he's uh he's he's just got an unbelievable drive um and he's he really does everything can he, he can for the club and he's i'm not sure the club will be where we are today without him um but we've got um, great ambitions i think we've is we've got a real sustainable uh business model now as well so we've got a real support from local businesses that are sort of you know really supporting the club and it's it's yeah it's really good times for us and um yeah so i'm enjoying it that was sensational that was just about every part of football we could imagine <laughs> that was my brain of what you've not done in football actually more than what you have done um excellent so jack we've just got a sentence for you to finish pretty simply i love non-league football because i think i love non-league football because the places it takes you a couple of Saturdays ago, I was I was on the outskirts of Heathrow Airport, at a ground called Bedford and Felton, looking like they're going to land in your back garden, like <laughs> roaring over your head. 
and it's like sensational. It just there's like managers trying to shout from the sidelines and you literally can't hear a thing. But it's brilliant. Um, and there's a team in that area as well that's a, um, a Deportivo Galicia that is a, uh, a community-based club that's all Spanish expats. Um, it's a really interesting story for those in, um, if you just do, you know, do a bit of research into them. So, you know, just learning about the history of clubs and, yeah, through the places it takes you. Have you ever been given a prawn sandwich at a game? Yeah, yeah, I've totally checked the prawns because I've had some dodgy ones in the past, but <laughs> yeah, more of a pie and liquor type of man. What an absolute pleasure it was to speak to Jacko in there. When they talk about a, f- a football man, you're not going to find more of a football man than Jacko. It was Amazing. wonderful to speak to him. Amazing. It's, it's actually more what's he not done than what he has done. It's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Which brings us to opening the doors yet again of the We Found a Game cl- uh, club shop. Um, please sanitise at the door and keep two metres apart. One way. Yeah, one way. Uh, six yeah. people in the store at a time. Um, so it looks like next year, 2021, is going to be a year of normality again with a vaccine and a chance to do stuff. So we're going to be able to plan things, aren't we, Dan? So we? what do you need? A calendar. Absolutely. <laughs> it's almost like we rehearsed that. Yeah. Um, uh, and so we've got the perfect thing. I've got one in my hand. It's Stuart Tree, who we've mentioned on the podcast before, a very, very talented photographer, and he's produced a series of calendars. The one that we have is non-league football tea bars. It's so ready to go up. Which is it? just so... Wait. We haven't actually decided where to put it we yet. But it's it's going to go in the communal area. Sort of thing, yeah, it? it's going to yeah. go in the communal area, though, yeah. definitely. Um, he also has a range of other ones, including non-league turnstiles, and maybe inspired by episode one of series one of the We Find a Game podcast, Welsh football landscapes looks good. Dan, there's a few more that have caught your eye more there's than a mine. Few, a few cricket ones, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful Sussex cricket, village cricket, Kent cricket. Amazing, yeah. I'll, everything. I'll give the cricket ones a miss. But All no, tastes. but the football ones are brilliant. Um, so if you are interested, which you should be, stuarttreesports.co.uk forward slash shop. Uh, and he's the latest item. So on to the spreadsheet section. I Nailed it. I said it right there. Yeah. Um, we really are rolling through the months now. So we're on to May and June, <laughs> which actually is the trickiest two months to find our best ground because typically there's not a great deal of football played in May. Well, June, you say that. I mean, there's not a lot of football in May because the season normally finishes at the start of May, but there's some amazing games uh, because it's the end of the season. June, we really struggled, didn't we? Mm, yeah, we did. really struggled. Yeah, um, so let's start then with May, Dan. What have you gone for? Uh, May I've gone for Banbury United, um, as heard on uh, Series 1. Mm-hmm. One of my favourite stands was behind the goal at Banbury United. Um, we saw them play Taunton Town in the playoff final of the Southern League. Incredible crowd. Um, Banbury won um, to see a local Oxfordshire team um, getting promoted to the um, Southern Premier League. Um, massive crowd like I think it was two, three thousand for mm. a club we get a few hundred watching them and we're, we're in that terrace we're in that, that terrace it was just um, pouring with rain it was yeah <laughs> but just an amazing day penalties in the end wasn't it I believe uh, I no Banbury won 2-0 according, according to my spreadsheet Banbury won 2-0 there we go eagle eyed yeah. spreadsheet but yeah amazing in, in one of the biggest games you know in Banbury's history to be at Spencer Stadium and see that um, a grand authority recommend really easy to do you literally you get off the train and you step on the platform and the ground's just there. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. And what's your May? Uh, okay, so the, the best day of my life to date was the 26th of May 2003. 
Sheffield United nil, Wolverhampton Wanderers three, uh, Division One playoff final at the Millennium Stadium. Um, so that wins game, but I think I can do better for ground. Um, I'm going to go abroad again. Uh, I was in Croatia a couple of years ago. Uh, I was on the island of Havar, it's very idyllic. Um, and I thought, oh, it's a bit of a pain. I'm probably not going to find a football match on here. We went to the car rental place and the guy who rented me the car was wearing a tracksuit that had a club crest on it. So I just lean in and say, what football club's that? Anyway, um, that same time tomorrow, I was at Krishna Luka Stadium watching NK Havar. Um, and it is one of... The, you, you actually see this stadium on a lot of these Instagram accounts, you know, that you get with, with the, say, best stadiums around the world. It's right on the Adriatic coast. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I couldn't tell you what the score was because I was looking at the scenery too much. So. I want to find more grounds from a lent over bloke in a car rental place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the car was a bit of a banger, to be honest. But um, that's how to find football, um, I think. Just a bloke renting you a car in a club tracksuit. So that's, uh, nice, so that's yeah. my May. Right, we're going to struggle here. Yeah. June. June's tough. But actually, June brings with it opportunity and excitement. <laughs> because Plato there. you've had... <laughs> You know, you've had that really dark, difficult about two weeks in May with no football at all to go to. Um, and then the start of June, little friendlies start trickling in, yep. little games. Um, so me and a few friends went to Bybury, which is an idyllic Cotswold village full of, um, you know, tourists seeing what a quintessential English village looks like. Um, and what does every quintessential English village have? Yeah, it's a football ground, Joe. <laughs> I mean, I say ground. There's a little clubhouse and there's um, four corner flags and two goals. Um, but it's got a permanent structure, so it qualifies for a it has, in, it has indeed. I remember having a really good cheese and, um, cheese and onion baguette in there. <laughs> um, but no, Bybury, um, a team in step seven um, of the non-league pyramid um, in the heart of the village. Um, amazing views across the Cotswolds. There's, I always think starting a season... A really low-key friendly. We went to one called Mersley. Yep. It's just a really nice way to start yep. the season. There's no worry. There's no stress. There's no pressure. Just a little local village. Just a like, nice comfortable start. Yeah, just ease yourself back yeah, in. It's exactly. almost like if you've had a bit of a break from drinking for a while. Yeah. And you just that first... Have a Baileys That first couple yeah. of beers, you just ease yourself back in. have a Shandy or something to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, for me, there's literally only ever one ground I've been to in June. Uh, and it was Bracknell Town, who play at Largest Lane, which is actually a really tidy new... Uh, ground new development 3G pitch I've uh, been a couple of times since lovely clubhouse uh, and it was a bit random I went for the Kanifa World Cup which if you don't know is for um, maligned or disputed nations to have a tournament with each other such as Yorkshire well right? one of them is Yorkshire yeah to be fair but um, this particular game was the United Koreans in Japan versus Kabilia and we decided very quickly to support Kabilia which is a, a region or a, a, a group of people living in northern Algeria um, and they just arrived with a I remember someone had um, a, a big speaker and a microphone blasting all these tunes out singing these songs uh, and we just got well involved it was the best fun I've ever had at nil nil um, I nearly caused a bit of a diplomatic incident though because I had a picture with a flag that they had a Kabillion flag and I inadvertently held it upside down which is actually quite an offensive thing to do um, so I had to delete that tweet very quickly but um, yeah Bracknell Town largest lane in June hopefully in the Junes to come Dan we go to a major tournament because that's a good way of finding games in exactly. June isn't it we haven't done one of them have we no we haven't so that's May and June um, gets a bit more exciting after that July and August we get back into some competitive football yeah so yeah and, and that, is, that is the right deep into pre-season you you got some exactly. amazing friendlies in, in July and yeah, August. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. 
So we're going from the spreadsheet section to the feel good factor. Dan, over to you. Yeah, amazing. Um, Kevin Ellison, uh, football player who is 41 years old, actually the oldest player currently to be playing in the Football League. Um, was it Morecambe from 2010 to 2020? Played 350 games, I guess a bit of a, a club legend really at Morecambe. Yeah. Um, got released um, at 41, you'd probably say career over, um, looking for things to do. Couldn't get any work. I mean, not the best time to be unemployed no. to get a job in 2020. No. Um, trying to get work in warehouses. He, there was a story of him taking a call for a job interview in a toilet in a service station when he mm. was travelling between things. Um, anyway, Newport County came to came calling and offered him a one-year deal. County uh, calling. County calling, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> all feel-good factor, it's all there. Um, and he uh, obviously took it on. And a lot of the Newport County fans were abject to this, annoyed that, you know, why are we not bringing the youth players through? through um he's come to come to fruition he's played um 12 games for them some of them off the bench obviously 41 you've got to recover a little bit yeah um on saturday playing against port vale they won one nil he scored in a 96th minute scenes first goal for the club um and an incredible story really um shows that age is just a number absolutely the restorative power of football uh wonderful which brings us to the end of this episode uh, so we look forward now to the next episode our next theme our next guest Uh, And I think it's time to dedicate an episode and focus on the man in the middle, someone who is uh, often derided, but is the most important aspect, you could say, of a game of football taking place. It's the referee, Dan. Uh, And we have a referee lined up to share their views and experiences and have their say. Definitely. Linesman could have been better because lined up. That would have worked really well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this this individual has had experience being... uh, I'm supposed to call them assistant referees now, which kind of ruins that a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Next week's episode is The Referee. Uh, if, of course, I'm still here and I'm not just super famous and blue tick Twitter, oh, yeah, you know, true. famous and all that yeah. kind of stuff, I'm going to try and keep my feet on the ground. Yeah. Um, but thank you very much um, for listening. Uh, that just leaves us to say a very, very happy birthday to Dave Whelan and Dean Ashton. Thanks a lot for listening. <laughs>